William, thanks for taking the time to come in today, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dana. So let's get right into the the heart of the question here. What exactly is business agility? So business agility, um, I hate to say this, to a certain degree is a fad right now. But it's a pretty strong fad Hmm. in that might uh, take off. And the reason I say this is because the level of change that's occurring in business and the rate of change is We've never seen it before. Um, this is sometimes measured in some cases by how fast the change is uh, occurring. Some people like to talk about how fast can you get 50 million users now. Mm. And I think in the, the recent case, it was like, you know, less than a month, yeah. like for uh, WeChat. Yeah. You get 50 million users. Of course, in, in China, that might be easy. That's nothing. Yeah. It's a small so, village. So the agility is how can I respond to the market and the consumer demand changing incredibly fast. I have to be able to adapt, I, for example, being agile, to respond to a threat or an opportunity. And I have to do this quickly. So the notion of agility is very simple from a business perspective, is the capacity to seize an opportunity quickly to make a difference or avoid essentially my untimely death because I was not paying attention to the rate of change around me. Now, you said rate of change, and I think that's one of the – that's been a buzzword a lot for the past couple of years. But what we see is that the the amount of change in business, the frequency of it has increased. Does business agility – I know you said it's a fad, but does it play – is it sort of a causation with that? It might be. It might be. But the the, – the rate of change, okay, mm. the rate of change, um, if you go back 100 years ago, when plumbing, w- running water was introduced in the late 1800s, this was transformational change. For sure. And, and in fact, I mean, you, you could argue right now that it, you want to pick an internet or the ability to have your, you know, your restroom facilities in your house, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like... <laughs> You wouldn't even, it's unconscious at this point. Mm. But the change that that produced and the rate of change was dramatic because of the opportunity to change an entire infrastructure. So we see technology doing the same thing. Mm. We just don't know now exactly how deep and fast, you know, infrastructure changes in technology and invention and business models is actually occurring. And so with that, you have to understand that knowing that this is going extremely uh, uh, quick, you must grasp the ability to see where are these changes happening. This is sensing. I'm sensing where the change is. What impact will it be? This is going to drive me to start thinking very differently about how to plan, plan the response to the threat or the opportunity. William, you just said sensing and planning. You have to sense where the changes happen and plan for it. How do you do that when you're, you've got this huge business ecosystem and all these things changing around you? So when it gets down to what do you do, you're going to need people who are actually doing the sensing. Uh, I was with a client the other day. And I asked the CEO, and I said, okay, so who in your organization is watching out for the potential startups 
they're going to disrupt your business model. And he said, well, we don't, we don't have that. We don't have a strategic planning uh, office. Uh, if there's anybody, it's me. I said, oh, really? It's you. Okay. So, and how do you do that? And he said, well, I go to conferences, uh, professional association conferences. And I get that. That's a good place to go when you hear other people talking about what are they seeing, what are the insights, what are the trends, how are they dealing with it, et cetera. But look, if you're a CEO and you're using just those moments, it's everything else, everything else in between. So if you might only go to a conference like maybe once a quarter, you're losing time because the markets, the technology inventions – the, 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 the new startups, the new competitors are happening daily. You have to constantly be engaged with that rate of change. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, look, a business can start in 24 hours now. You can mm -hmm. literally get an idea, get an application to form a company. Uh, and, each, of course, each country is a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. But you can be online in business selling something in very short order. Yeah. That absolutely. was not true 20 years ago. That wasn't and, true, true 10 years ago. Yeah. So you, you think about this as far as how fast the things are moving. And this gets back to, you know, the recent Harvard study that asked, how often should you be planning because of these changes that are going on in the business world? And the answer that they got from businesses and executives is that 60% or more of companies now have to be planning at less than six months, less than six months. So that's just giving you a sense of how short now the planning cycles have become in strategic planning and looking into the future. Uh, and, and some are doing it ongoing. They have to. The, the, the rate of change is requiring dynamic, in, in the moment, planning, if you would. That's a crazy mind shift to think that you're planning a, a large, say a multi-billion, multinational company less than six months into the future. That's a huge change from when I was an undergrad and they were talking about, oh, you need your 12-month, your 18-month, your 24-month plan. Those don't exist anymore is what you're saying. Yeah, and, and so, you know, the, the notion here is that industries are no longer predictable because it's ecosystems that are arising around these industries that are forcing the change. And so if I can't predict out three years or four years – the horizon is changing because the ecosystem is impacting what a company can do. You can't, you know, as they say, you, if, if you're still being defined by an industry, you're in trouble. Uh, you've got to find out what ecosystem are you impacting and then find out in that ecosystem where are all the pockets of change coming from? Who are the competitors? Who are the partners? Who are the potential, you know, consumers around those ecosystems in order to plan for how you will diversify or optimize your core business to, uh, you know, stay relevant in, 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 in that ecosystem. Now, just thinking about the amount of change and the, the shift in thinking that needs to happen there is staggering. Now, I know you've worked with a lot of companies globally, William. Do you have, is, one, I want to ask, has anyone done this really well, like really been like, oh, we're, we're old hat, we need to shift our thinking here? And do you have an example of someone who hasn't and suffered for it? Yeah, so let's start with uh, one that might be considered successful. And the okay. way I would describe success here is that they've had sustained top-line growth and profitability. Okay. I think anyone would agree that's, that's success. Not bad, yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, and, and done over kind of a short period of time as well on top mm. of it. 
So I'm going to pick a company called Hire, right? So everybody knows Hire, at least in China, because yeah. they're famous for uh, making refrigerators and kitchen equipment, et cetera. Yeah. And they start out as a Chinese company. And essentially, in the old Chinese hierarchical tradition, they started building product. And they found out, okay, I'm going to build a good product. And then they started to go uh, global. Uh, and then they started seeing success and competition in you know, the appliance market, which is essentially a commodity. Yeah. And what they began to do is to see that, oh, interesting, uh, a, a kitchen in Thailand is not a kitchen in South America. Therefore, mm -hmm. our products need to be adapted. And then along comes the Internet, right? And now we have this notion of IoT, right, artificial intelligence, to the point that, oh, in your refrigerator, I might have a sensor that tells me exactly when the milk goes bad so that the milk gets ordered and replaced exactly, the, you know, within one hour yeah. of the optimal time and purchase that you need to do. And, by the way, you don't even need to go to the store. So You don't what, even need to know about it. Right. And so Hire had the vision that in order to respond to the local – needs of their customers. This is called contextualization. Some people like to call it glocalization, where they, mm. you're a global company, but you need to build products for specific consumers and their needs. Yep. Uh, what they decided to do is to write, rather than try to centralize the planning of that, which in, in a certain way, you could understand it. They want to control their investment, of what they do in R&D and everything else. No, they flipped it. What they did is they let the business units in these regional areas throughout the world start to take responsibility for the R&D as how products and services are delivered. Now, there's some complexity with this, but it's profound when you actually figure out that the, the key shift that they had to uh, undertake was they realized that their mid-management was part of the problem. That everything had to go through them for decisions, and now all of a sudden, you know, uh, there's no need for this mid-management structure when you decentralize the rules of engagement and governance for making the innovation decisions that are relevant to the markets that you're serving. So you see this kind of success. They've done it. They literally made this transition where they've inverted. It's not about the guy at the top anymore or listening to the boss. It's you're, you're paid to listen to the customer and you deliver products and services, a service experience in that kitchen around those needs of that particular context. Context is king. They are now driving a flexible, adaptable, fast go-to-market strategy with appliances and the services and the experience around the kitchen. When you explain it like that, like, you know, you listen to the customer, you give them what they want, it sounds so intuitive. You know, why, why is it not? Well, it, so if you're a global company, and you're trying if you think that you understand the entire market, right? You know, which is the fallacy now because you, yeah. you understand that markets are moving differently. Consumers in South America are not the same in Thailand, not yeah. the same in Canada. That you simply there's not a, a single body in the company sitting in China mm. that can figure that out. They're not being able to sense. They can't have the, They don't have the foresight because they're not on the ground. They can't see what the customer is doing. They don't understand the cultural biases and mm. so forth. So if you decentralize the thinking mm. and the sensing, you can get faster information to respond to opportunities that other competitors aren't doing because they're still centralized. So this takes a bold move, and this is organizational agility driving competitive advantage because I, I no longer have to have a central control system 
making all the decisions on strategy and innovation. It's quite it's it's risky in of itself, but if you understand the processes and the mindset set up, it's powerful, and they really are doing uh, amazing things. They they bought GE with cash. <laughs> Cash. GE Appliances, okay, a Chinese company buying GE Appliances for cash. And I think at the time it was growing, it had a 1% organic growth rate. And in less than three to four years, it's now at 11%. So this is a dramatic yeah. understand, if you really understand how big that is. And that's organic. It's not an M&A or anything like this. Hmm. That's through their, their, their management system, which is about decision-making and planning. So it sounds like to really understand the customers like this, you have to put these sort of autonomous systems in place in each vertical or each market to allow that that sensing from the customer to percolate up. Yeah. And and, and if you think about that, we look at AI yeah. and we look at how data now, uh, you, the, the ability to get more predictable mm which, you know, AI, it is about prediction, right, of a, yep. some algorithm is certain. But if you got the algorithm right and you are able to predict the consumer's needs and empathize with what's going on quicker and faster than your, your competition, your ability to make better decisions with less risk get even better. So this is now where data convergence starts to become pretty critical. And, and having that, those IoT sensors picking up data in, 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 in kind of a holistic environment, you, you can move much quicker with more uh, certainty as you begin to grow and the machine learning starts to get more accurate and you're learning more about the, the woman in the kitchen and how she uses you know, the, the appliances and, mm. and, and it can go on and on, right? So it's fascinating that we see technology now enabling what we couldn't do 10, 15 years ago as far as managing risk in an organization and trying to, it, with the, the mindset that we can control it from a central planning group. That's a lot to unpack, William. That's a, there's a lot in that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, we, I don't want to unpack it all today because that, there's a lot of technical stuff that I think we can get into, and we have some other people uh, here that probably can dive into the, the tech side deeper with us, but Understanding how Hire did it well is important to learn from, from their their choices. But also, I'd like to know if there was someone who really missed it, who didn't do it well, or who completely ignored the change and how that impacted them. What can we learn from those situations? Yeah, that, that's great. So remember I started out to say what does success look like? Yeah. Okay, a profitable, yeah. sustained growth. Pr pretty good success. So the criteria. opposite of that, right, yep. is non sustained growth no profit uh, and 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 no profit and top line dropping right mm, that, yeah. that's the opposite so you know and this is what business schools love to go pick on by the way they this is where all these great case studies come out as far as yeah. oh look at this and of course the famous ones we have now are kodak uh, uh blockbuster and we could go on and on with yeah. respect to companies that have missed this understanding about business agility, the ability to sense and respond to threats or opportunities in the marketplace. And this gets to a fairly profound discussion about human biases, mm. especially with entrepreneurs, founders, owners who are running their companies, but they cannot see or they refuse to see, even though it's sitting right in front of them, right? So, you know, the, the profound element of Blockbuster mm. was the moment 
in my opinion, and there's lots of opinions about this because it's well studied, and there's yeah. uh, everyone know, knows this case. And you can get this obnoxious orientation about you know, was it 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 was one million decisions that led to the fall versus one decision, and yeah. I'm not going to go there. But it, it, uh, Net, uh, Blockbuster had the opportunity. This is my favorite to buy yeah. Netflix at a certain point early in the game. Okay, early, early, early in the game. Yeah. But they didn't see it. In fact, they ah, you know, they're not going to be a competitor. And who who wants heard, to get mail? <clears throat> and you know, we we know the famous quotes on this from Watson when he yeah. said, "Whoever wants a computer at their desk, you know, kind yeah. of stuff." I mean, we're brilliant people, blinded by their own business, could not see. They couldn't sense. So when you talk about how many are there, there are many. Now mm. there are some that have lived to survive, uh, to continue, and there's many that have hit bankruptcy, or in some cases, you, they just disappear because they become uh, 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 an M&A, mm. and they get bought you know, at a fire sale yeah. to get their assets and their IP out, right? Um, but this concept of sensing is probably, and, and not sensing it accurately as to what, predicting what signal that is giving me to make a move on is probably much larger than we actually understand right now in, in, the, in the market. And this is why I think, uh, you know, the book coming out with Rita McGrath, <clears throat> which I'm dying to read because it's, it's going to get published soon, is seen around corners as the primary competence of executives and leaders. You have to be able to see around the corner. You've got to bend your mind to understand the, the systems and the businesses that could impact you in the future. It's a tall order. It's a very tall order to see around the corner. You, you know, it's like the, uh, the mind benders, right? Yeah. Back to the whole thing of seeing around the corner and, and sensing and understanding where there's changes coming from. And I, I know we talked about systems and putting systems in place. Along with those systems, are there, are there best practices that a company can implement to help achieve that? So I think that I need to make sure you understand that I – I'm actually known for not believing in best practices. Okay. Uh, and I <clears throat> have reasons to state that, you know, pretty profoundly. So, so tell me what they are. Well, uh, you know, when I, when I went to Stanford for the first time and uh, I, my first lecture was, you know, the theory of project management is obsolete. And I got major feedback. Oh, <laughs> William, you can't talk about that. That's... And yeah, roasted. Uh, but yet, I was able to show that project management as a practice, as a best practice, was not truly uh, repeatable in a different context, in a different culture. And I had research to prove it. And therefore, what is it? Okay. So the notion of best practice to me is: Can you adapt? Can you adopt? And how? In an environment of a different culture, a different strategy, a different set of capabilities that the leadership has, et cetera. What matters is your practice. How well are you thinking through what is important in your context? Again, back to contextualization. A, a contextualized leader is building the practice that is relevant for what they need to accomplish with what they have. That's really at the core of this. Now, if you take sensing, and looking into the future, for example, I believe that this is where some of the cutting edge and possibly even bleeding edge thought now is occurring is to what we need to do in planning to allow the company to sense the right things or just to be able to see emergent, emergent ideas. And it's not about 
necessarily best practice. It's about the, the practice of thinking holistically and openly without biases, without, you know, confirmation that I've got to find this answer to something that I want to do. So this is a whole unique, I think, emerging opportunity for best thinking and thinking, best practices in thinking to actually start dominating some of uh, the, 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 what we call tools and mindsets and frameworks to, to you know, achieve the goals that you want to do. So, I mean, Again, a lot there, William. You're throwing a lot at me with every answer here. I love it. So if I can break this down, so it really comes down to the individual's ability to think, to be agile individually, and then how that compounds as a whole, creating systems and mindsets that allow a company to sense and change. Yeah, absolutely. Spot on. So... (laughs) When you get back, so an organization- And that's different everywhere. Let's just be clear, okay? An organization is a myth. An organization is is, is people working in a system mm. with inputs and outputs, okay? It's people. There's no such thing as organizational agility. What's agile are the people working in the business. So when you get right down to it, it's your ability, my ability to learn, to adapt, the, the agility is your and mine together understanding what we are learning together to sense and respond to a particular situation, right? And th- this is at the core of it. So when you think about it, uh, learning agility for an individual is the core competence of business agility. You cannot separate this. And you can measure this too, by the way. You can measure degrees of ability or competence to actually be able, you know, how you learn, how fast can you learn, mm. how, how do you take concepts and create new knowledge and share that to invent or create systems, ideas, product services, you know, for what is relevant for our context mm. in the moment. A lot there. So as I think about it, William. It really comes down to there's no best practice, right? It's all about the individual being agile with their thinking, having a mindset that allows them to move outside of constraints, but still be in a a system that allows them to sense from the customer. It it almost sounds like this has to be sort of contextualized to each individual company or I know you said the organization's a myth, so like each business unit perhaps. Oh, absolutely. I mean – it, in the book with uh, Zone to Win by Jeffrey Moore. That's a good book. Okay, yeah. He, what he says is you cannot run your company on a single kind of culture, mm. a single set of metrics and so forth. Is that you have to know how to zone your business so that you can lead it appropriately. In other words, it's contextualized. Mm. Your innovation area of incubating ideas needs to be in a specific zone have a certain set of leadership practices and principles, and its metrics aren't ROI tomorrow. Mm. Uh, it's got a different set of performance criteria that it has to optimize. And when you begin to understand this, you can see that contextualization can happen in, 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 in very specific focused areas in a business. Uh, this is incredibly important to know. This is the adaptation piece. And, oh, by the way, this is the hardest this is the hardest. This is the whole thing about uh, having ambidextry, as mm-hmm. they say, is to be able to manage the core business, pay the bills, keep the cash coming in, and to start reinvesting 
and that into other parts of the business to either you know, ward off competition or seize opportunities that will allow your incremental growth or in some cases even radical growth through disruption. So contextualized organizations, this is the next wave. This is where organizational design and leadership has to take a very situational approach. So situational leadership has to be understood by the top of the organization. If not, you're going to get single, single points of bias. Uh, you're going to try to run the company in a, in a very specific way, and you're going to run into trouble. This is why, you know, Clayton Christians' book, you know, the, the, the Innovator's Dilemma is that your inertia is born out of your past success, and it's the very thing that's going to kill you if you don't understand how to manage it and allow the new stuff to start percolating up through. In other words, contextualize your business. Run it with specific practices and metrics and so forth in order to survive by more diversification of new products, new services, new opportunities. That's where the organic growth and, and things are going to emerge from. It's the future. All right. Well, William, I know you have to get out of here. You have a client meeting. I want to thank you for taking the time to come in and talk to us. All the information that we talked about will be linked in the show notes, as well as all links to SEAC's Contextualized Solutions Department and William's contact information. Thank you, William. Thank you, Dana. You've been listening to the Lead by Design podcast brought to you by SEAC's Contextualized Solutions. To find out more and to get exclusive supplemental content for this episode, check us out at seasiacenter.com slash cs.